Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome back to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am grateful that you are joining me today for an interview with Matt Burns. And Matt is a passionate, innovative, global HR executive who sits at the intersection of technology and culture. He is the founder and CEO of the Global HR Collective, a social enterprise that launched in October 2018 to help organizations transform their culture and strategy with HR, technology, data, and innovation. Blending strategy, technology, data, and culture, Matt likes to architect and implement solutions that make organizations more profitable, efficient, and human-centric. That's a pretty great goal, Matt. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Nice to be here. Yeah, good to have you on. We connected over LinkedIn, and uh, I just knew you were someone that I would enjoy talking to. And of course, we got on, and we've just been chatting away and almost forgot to hit record. Uh, But you told me... You've got some hot news for me that you're gonna you're gonna bring some fresh content today. Uh, so I'm excited to get into that. Uh, before we do, uh, do you want to fill in any gaps there in terms of your background and and what you do today? Yeah, here before I do that, I promise you that at no point in this conversation will I say that HR needs a seat at the table. <laughs> Fair enough. We do enough of that on this show. One of our most common topics is you know how to make HR and talent development more strategic, more yeah. of a partner to the business. Uh, I think it is something that a lot of people care about, uh, but we won't go there today. We're going to talk more about technology. We're going to talk about innovation. We're going to talk about the things that you're working on. As I said to you, I have gotten to a point where because of the work I do and the facilitation I do, I do a lot about leadership development and strategy alignment and all the talent development stuff on the soft side. I don't know as much about the technology, so I'm excited to have you on. Yeah. And spoiler alert, as I get to my background, I'm not really a technologist either. <laughs> so here, that's my kind of like my dirty secret. Uh, 20 years in the corporate world, 15 of those in HR, the last five I was an executive. But I found myself in kind of a loop where because I had a bit of a knack for it, I was architecting and executing large restructuring projects. Uh, and that's really fancy HR lingo for firing a lot of people. And as somebody who 
cares about this planet and cares about the people that are on it. It's not a career path that I wanted for myself. And it's the kind of the place I fell into. And by the way, Andy, the reward for doing it really well is you get to keep doing them. And I was fortunate enough to work with a boss at the time who said, Matt, whenever you start to feel numb about these activities, I need you to come to me and have a conversation and we'll find something different to do. Uh, I went to that person, uh, we had a conversation and I, we made the decision together for me to leave the company and pursue something that was a bit more purposeful and more aligned with my passions. So I moved back to where I'm from, which is in the Vancouver area and uh, did two things, launched an MBA educational pursuit and joined a small organization that was going to allow me to do uh, HR my way. They said the magic words that every HR professional wants to hear, which is you can do whatever you want. Nice. And as long as I built a business case and as long as I helped them satisfy the organizational objectives, they were quite happy to let me experiment and try new and cool, innovative things. And Andy, I believe that uh, technology and data are foundational to culture. I don't believe they compete with them. So I wanted to build a strategy that was predicated on the automation of all the manual administration that doesn't add value to the organization, is not best performed by humans, and people don't want to do the work. Nobody in HR that I've talked to said, I joined this profession because I wanted to spend six hours a day behind a spreadsheet. But most of us are doing that right now. So I wanted to automate all that crap that doesn't add value and free up my finite resources to focus on the things that do make a difference, which is interacting with our internal stakeholders, building culture, building implement brand, building talent. And we were able to do that. So we went to the market and we procured five different technologies from five different vendors. Uh, It was a bit of a unique approach. Like most HR practitioners, my traditional procurement uh, had been, I would deal with a single vendor and they would give me a suite of solutions and I would buy from one of the bigger players in the market. Mm -hmm. But I was now in a smaller company. We were 1,500 employees. And... I found out that that was pretty small potatoes for most of the big technology companies in HR. And that meant that I was going to have to adjust my processes and my strategy to fit some third-party technology. And call me old-fashioned, but that didn't feel right. I'm going to cut you a check that is six or seven figures. I want a say in the final product. Yeah, I don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in customization. Right. So I eschewed the traditional. I said no to all the big vendors. And I went and found small upstart providers. I found a company that was going to deliver an HRS, an applicant tracking system, and a learning management system. All different vendors, hired a solutions architect, tied them together in the back end, and created our own end-to-end solution for a fraction of the price. Did it in 12 months. They were all on month-to-month contracts. All of them were cloud-based. And we were able to automate HR from paper to complete automation in just over a year. And that was exciting. We were lucky. One of our vendors thought what we were doing is pretty cool, nominated us for an award. We've ended up winning that award for the most innovative use of HR technology here in Canada. And then the, the thing that I got excited about was when we had all these technologies now in place, we were able to pull data in a way we couldn't do that before because they were now feeding us information. We, when I started, we had three or four HR data points on our metric scorecard. After a year, we had 76 because we were able to pull this information from systems that previously was manual. And we took that information and we decided to leverage it. So we, t- we built a model that was a really robust scorecard. And then we started to employ some predictive analytics methodologies, which was for us was fortune telling. And I believe for a whole bunch of reasons that fire prevention is better use of my time than firefighting. So we built our model around how do we avoid problems and deal with issues before they become major crises. And again, we got some attention for doing that and won the award last year for the best HR department in Canada and retail and hospitality on the strength of our analytics platform. 
And I'm so lucky to have worked with a talented group of people on my team that helped me you know, bring the strategy to life, execute it in an operating environment. I and mean, we were in retail, so we didn't have a lot of resources. I didn't have big budgets. I had to make a million dollar idea with a hundred dollar budget. And the technology and the data allowed us to do that. And I thought to myself, okay, as my MBA was wrapping up, what did I want to do with the rest of my career? My organization was clear that when my MBA finished, that I was going to leave, that I had been used to working for multi-billion dollar Fortune 100 companies. And then now I was in a smaller company, I was going to try and do something different. And I decided the best course of action for me at that place in my life was to launch my own social enterprise, where I'm taking the skills that I've built over 20 years in the business world, and I'm helping organizations architect, procure, and implement HR technologies as a means of saving money, but also enhancing their cultures. And the way the social enterprise aspect of that works is, as I make money, I cover my costs, I pay myself a nominal salary, and I give the rest away to charity, which for me looks like mental health advocacy and supporting women entrepreneurs. And I'll be honest, Andy, I make way less money. My bank account isn't anywhere near as flush as it once was. But I am so much more satisfied knowing that what really makes me happy is solving problems and helping people have success. I'm lucky to do that every single day. Man, what a great story. And uh, I love how you went and did that yourself, pieced it together, learned from that, and now you're able to help other companies with it. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. I want to go back and ask you a few questions. Going back to the beginning, you said that technology and data are foundational to culture. When I think yeah. about culture, I think about people, right? And so, the way people act. I don't necessarily think about data or technology. So why do you say that those things are foundational to culture? Yeah, it's great. And, and I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I think my opinion is still the minority. Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people still believe that culture is people. And I, and I agree with that. I don't know how you get culture if all we're, we're doing is spending our time focusing on manual administration. If you're spending your entire time with your head buried into a laptop or a desktop, and you're pounding away at spreadsheets and keyboards, that's not culture. That's not engagement. That's not team building. That is the modern day equivalent of an assembly line in a manufacturing plant. And I think that the way that you build culture is by creating opportunities and the space in an organization that allow for interactions with humans, allow them to work together, to collaborate on teams, to work towards a common goal, and not so much as individual contributors all chipping away on their technologies. That's one aspect of technology. The second one when it comes to data is, I think we have this false sense that we're all so unique that nothing's ever, what we do is completely, you know, we're all special. And I think we are special to a degree, but human beings are relatively predictable. And you can take data points 
and look at things like sentiment analysis or engagement surveys or productivity figures. And you can get a pretty good sense of what's happening in your organization at any given time with data inputs. And you can do so to diagnose problems that would otherwise be unseen and to interact with employees in a way that allows you to ensure that satisfaction is higher. And I'll give you an example. The first predictive analytics model that I built was able to identify where high potential and high performing talent was at the greatest risk of leaving the company. So we took historical data and we said, the previous people that have left the company that we deemed as high potential, that we were sad to lose, they had these four or five attributes that are pretty consistent across the board. And for us, it looked like things such as they were getting disproportionate amount of responsibility for their pay. They were, had been denied upward mobility or cross-functional opportunities because their bosses wanted to keep them in roles where they were high performing. They had a very specific background in terms of education and age relevant to our organization and its, its traditional cohort. And the consequence of that was they were leaving the company in great numbers and they were doing so at the harm to the organizational goals. So when we figured out what this profile of talent looked like, we were able to project that this group of people, meaning these criteria, were at the greatest risk of leaving and we wanted to stop the flow of people leaving the organization that fit that criteria. We then overlaid that same template over the existing people who remained in the company and identified that we had a cohort of several dozen people that kind of fit that profile. We then went and had individual one-on-one -on -one conversations with each of those people and basically said, how's it going? How are things working for you in the company? Are you having any pain points and friction points? And in doing so, I was able as an HR practitioner to better leverage my resources to have a finite number of conversations and the second thing was, those conversations were successful. We saved well over 50% of those people in the organization who identified in those one-on-one -on -one meetings that they were having struggles, they were having challenges, and we were able to boost retention of that talent and therefore stop the flow of people leaving the organization. We applied the data and the technology as foundational to inform the human activities. Yeah. So I don't propose using data and technology as a substitute for the human experience. I propose using it to automate the work that we don't do very well, that's low value, that enables us to actually be more human with each other. And that is why I believe in laying the foundation of technology and data so we can overlay succession and diversity and inclusion and employment branding and engagement and all the things that actually bring companies to life. That's my dirty secret. I'm not a technologist, I'm not a data scientist, and I'm not a sociopath. I actually like people, right. but... <laughs> You'll never get there if you don't have the foundation in place and we're all spending our time cramming away on keyboards. So I wanted to help companies get to a, sp a spot where they can realize efficiencies and drive culture. And the fastest way to do that is with technology and data. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I'm always trying to figure out how I can automate as much as possible, delegate as much as possible so I can spend more time doing things like this, connecting with people and learning and asking questions. I would imagine, you know, there's some people listening, thinking like, this sounds really cool. I don't know if I have this data. I don't know how to use this data. Like, how do I leverage data to find out that there is a hypo worker out there who is being overprotected by his manager or her manager and that won't let him or her go and do some other interesting work? Like, how do I find that out? Yeah, great question. And, and that's where I come back to my, my first confession, which is I'm not a data scientist. I'm not a technologist. But what I am is I, I have a fair amount of emotional intelligence. And I understand the application of technology and data to solve problems. So I get this question a lot. And I've had the great privilege this year of speaking around the world on how to take action with your data, how to bring a number to life. And what you essentially do is you start with a problem. 
So what problem are you trying to solve? And this scenario you gave me was, we're trying to solve for identifying high potential or high performing talent and to try and reduce the attrition of that resource. Makes complete sense and would benefit any business. The way you do that is you look in the past. So you look at the people who've left the organization in the last year or two years or three years that fit the profile of what you would, as a company would consider high performing talent. So you identify, you pull out your list of all people that have left, pull off your report and say, this person's high potential, this person has potential, this person has potential. And then you grab a bunch of data points, both operational metrics and human resources metrics. You throw it all into a spreadsheet. Okay, you just run reports out of your HRS, out of your payroll system, out of your LMS, pull a whole bunch of data. Then you identify that you need to build a model. So I'm not, again, a data scientist. But, and I didn't have a huge budget, so I couldn't hire a team of 50 data scientists like Google has running around to do these analytics for me. What I did was I went to Upwork. And for those who don't know what Upwork is, it's a freelance-based website that allows you to connect to free, freelance or gig-based yep. people. And there are data scientists on Upwork who sell their services on an hourly basis. There's everybody on they're Upwork. <laughs> not, yeah, they're not cheap. But when you can't afford $130,000 annual salary, but I could afford $5,000 for a project. Mm-hmm. So I hired a data scientist and said, here's the problem I'm trying to solve. How many data inputs do you need to build me an algorithm? And then they built me an algorithm. Hmm. And then I dumped all the data that I already had in the company into their algorithm and spat out a result, which said, here are the factors that are consistent at a level of predictability that was about 86%. Here are the people that fit the profile of high potential. And here are some of their common traits that you can look for with your existing cohort of talent. So once we knew that there was five or six elements that were pretty consistent regarding the people that we wanted to keep relevant to the data of people who'd already left, we then overlaid that model on all the remaining people in the organization. So we ran another report with the same data points, dropped everybody into it and said, who fits the profile? And then it showed up. This person fits, this person fits, this person fits. And then we do what we do best in HR, which is we had conversations. So then we sat down with them and said, hi, my name is Matt. I'm in HR. We probably haven't met before because there's so many of you and there's only one of me. And I just want to know, how's your employment experience going? I didn't say, hey, I ran a report and you fit a profile. Right. Let's have a conversation. Right. I said, like, tell me how your employment's going. And they would say things like, it's great. Thanks for asking. Or they would say, well, you know, I'm kind of bummed. Last year, I didn't get a pay increase. and I worked really, really hard and pulled my more than my own weight. I think it's BS that I didn't get a pay increase. Mm. Or they said, hey, I was up for promotion, but my boss told me that I could, he couldn't spare me. So I'm stuck in this role and I'm pissed off about it. And I'm leaving the company. Yeah. And it gave me an opportunity to do what I do best, which was engage with the employee. And in some cases, save people from leaving the company that would have otherwise left if we hadn't met with them. Hmm. And we were able to turn that around by saying, just, we, and I, I'll be very honest, Andy, I couldn't save everybody. Some people right. were too far gone. They were already leaving. Oh yeah, they're already bad. Yeah, but we did convince a few people to stick around and we did stop some problems before they became crisis. And then I was able to put some dollar values attached to that and said, Hey, by saving these people, we as a company saved X amount of dollars in attrition. Yeah. That's quantifiable. Easily. So what I did was I said, okay, if I was able to save the company $50,000 in turnover costs, because the cost to replace somebody, the lost productivity, the cost for hiring and onboarding and training somebody new, here's a dollar value. It's $50,000. Hey, CFO, I'm going to give you $25,000. I want to keep $25,000. And I'm using $25,000 to build the model for next year to do this better. 
So I self-funded my own transformation. I self-funded my own programs. And then next year, when I say, when I spent 25,000, of course, the impact became much more than when I spent 5,000. Yeah. Then I was able to say, okay, this year I saved $150,000. I'm going to give you 75. I'm going to keep 75. I'm going to use this 75 to build the next program on top of it. Mm. And what that did was, and there's no CFO on this planet that's going to say, hey, Matt, you're going to give me $75,000 out of thin air from HR. Yeah. And you're going to fix a turnover problem at the same time. Yeah. How much more money do you want? Right. It was easy. So that's how we did it. That's amazing. That is so cool. And you, you're right. You're self-funding. I, I see the few organizations out there figuring out how to do that, but a lot of HR organizations are still funded through the, you know, the CFO and they're still, and they're requesting money every year for different things. And you're funding this project and it continues to grow as it funds more. It's almost like a startup within a bigger company. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting organizations with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. And we're also proud to be providing tons of great content and inspiration to you and everyone out there during troubled times. You can go to advantageperformance.com to find any of our weekly webinars, insights, white papers, and blogs we've been putting out to help you survive and thrive during challenging times. That website again is advantageperformance.com. And now back to the show. My question would be, you know, some people may be thinking, well, how do I get that going initially? Is there going to be enough support if things seem to be going okay? You made a comment about preferring to be involved in fire prevention versus firefighting. However, I find that in general, as with almost anything in life, people are more willing to pay and more willing to buy and willing to take action when they're fighting fire, right? Or versus the prevention. A mentor of mine a long time back in you know, consulting would say that people are more willing to pay for pain medicine than for vitamins, right? Because when things are good, you don't think of as much about preventing stuff for the future. But when things are bad, oh my God, we got to take action. Totally. No, and I'm a consultant now. So I see this every <laughs> single day. Yeah. I tell a client that if they spend $25,000 to save $100,000, it's a very different conversation than something broke. It costs $100,000 to fix it. And here's what I would say to that. I was lucky in that one of my earlier mentors, I mean, I grew up in retail where, again, I had to make a million dollar ideas out of hundred dollar budgets. Mm. And I had a mentor once who kind of way say, Matt, this is by the way, he used to say this to me when he was cutting my budget, Matt, constraints drive innovation. <laughs> I'm confident you'll come up with a solution that makes sense. Yeah. And then that like, no, no, you can't have more money. I hear what you're saying constraints drive innovation. Come right. back to me when you have a solution. So I go off and think about it and go, oh, I can't figure this out. And then eventually you come to me, I do have a solution. And I think that you have to be willing to take some risks. You have to be willing to place a bet on yourself and your team. But ultimately, what I've talked about is entirely possible. And here's how I do this. And this is what I do now in a consulting capacity is I help illuminate these opportunities for HR organizations so they can actually do things simultaneously. And that looks like identifying the problem. So 
let's use turnover because we've already talked about turnover and I think it's an easy quantifiable number that everyone can relate to. What is the turnover in the organization? And what are some of the factors that are driving the turnover problem in your company? And let's just say, for example, that the issue is around leadership, that you have a, you know, a junior leadership group that is struggling to retain their staff. Your company's grown exponentially. This is a problem a lot of tech companies I work with. Companies growing so fast that the people who are on the front lines today are the leaders tomorrow, and they're just struggling to manage teams. Happens a lot. I see it all the time. Yep. All the time. And it's a, it's, it's a good problem to have because it means you're growing so fast, but it's right. still a problem. Yep. And eventually, if you don't fix that problem, the company dies because you can't sustain that because you, stop, you start missing deadlines, the quality goes down, you have more bugs. And if you're a technology company, your tech's not very good, you don't have a long runway. So how you solve that is identifying, okay, what are the specific gaps with that leadership group that would have the biggest impact to reducing turnover? And then you identify what the opportunity cost is to solve that problem. So let's just say you quantify the opportunity cost. Let's say I could reduce the turnover in the company by 10% of its current number. And that had a bottom line savings to the company of about $100,000. Keep the math really easy. Well, what I would need to fix that problem could be a training program. It could be very specialized one-on-one development of that talent. It could be programs. It could be technology. It could be a number of things. I'm not going to define the specifics, but let's just say that I want to run a pilot. So I want to try an idea that I believe is going to work. The first thing that I do is I self-fund my pilot. So every HR leader with a budget has a slush fund. Let's be honest. We all got slush funds. We all got money hidden away in some line item that we're not talking about. It's discretionary spending or outside services or something. We all got that money. Wait, as a provider, I want to hear more about these slush funds. No, I'm just kidding. Go. Continue. Continue. Every HR executive has a rainy day fund. Or they can make a reallocation of their funds if there's an issue. Right. And most, if you have a medium-sized company or a large company, you can generally find $5,000 or $10,000 if you had to. So if I really believe that my idea makes sense and I can save the company money, I'll find myself $5,000 and I'll run my pilot. I don't need to ask for money. I don't need to ask for permission. It's within my purview, within my budget. I do the pilot. And I'm very clear and very deliberate about measuring the impact of my efforts. So I get a current state analysis of what the problem is and what the cost of that problem is. I quantify the impact of my efforts and show the delta and build a business case on that. So if I spent $5,000 and I reduced turnover by a low enough percentage to save the company $15,000, I know I'm getting a three to one greater return. Great. So now I go back to the business and I say, hey, I ran a pilot last month and did these three things, spent 5,000 bucks, you didn't pay for it in my budget, and the corresponding impact had this, and we saved as a company $15,000. First off, awesome, amazing. Right. High fives everywhere. High fives, yep. It's a three to one rate of return. Do we all agree it's a good number? Yes. Awesome. Can I have an extended pilot? Would you be willing to give me, float me $20,000? I'm not going to tell you I'm going to save 60 because maybe that first five had a huge impact. But what if I could save you 40? What if I could split it in half and make a more conservative number or even 30 or even just self-fund it? Would you agree that if I was able to at least save $20,000 and you give me $20,000, that all the soft benefits of running this training program or putting in this technology or dropping in this new way of working is going to have net positive effect to the company? As long as I don't spend more money than I save for the company, it's a net win. Would you agree? Of course. So if I can save 30 or 40 or 45 or 50 or 60 or more, that's all just gravy. 
run that pilot. And now I have the attention of the company all over it because now they've spent $20,000. And there are some people on the executive team that are going, I hope this fails. Like, I, I can't wait. I, like, you know, this isn't going to work. This is, this is HR, one of the crazy ideas again. Yeah. And you do it. And you better hope it works because if it doesn't, you can't ask for money ever again. But you just make really, really sure it does work. And you create a conservative enough estimate around your figures that you know it's going to work. And I would always recommend whenever I quantify the impact of my efforts, I always cut the projections in half. Always. Yeah. I'd rather look like a hero with a conservative estimate than miss an aggressive target. Because if you said you're going to save 60 and you save 45, you're a failure in most companies. If you said you're going to save 30 and you save 35, then you're a hero. That's great. Context. Yeah. So I'm very conservative in my estimates and I'm confident in our ability to influence the result. And once we achieve that result, now I have the attention of the organization and they realize the rate of return of what we're doing justifies an even bigger investment in the future. I build every business case exactly the same way. I start with a pilot. I eat my own lunch first. And then after that, I scale the impact, scale the impact, scale the impact. Every single year I was an HR executive, I have never had a year where my budget increased year over year. It's always stayed flat or it's always decreased. And the complexity and the problems that I had to solve were always greater. So I just learned if I wanted to do anything that that was different and unique, I had to self-fund it. So I did we talked about the attrition challenge. Um, what other things should HR talent development professionals be looking for right now? I imagine list people listening to you going, wow, I didn't think about this. You know, there's all these opportunities out there to leverage data. I could potentially self-fund a project using this slush fund over here or make this argument to, you know, we talked about attrition. What other opportunities? What are the things should they be looking at where they can make an impact, where they can leverage technology to improve their culture, their company, or save the company money? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say the majority of people come to me with the similar problems. Um, they're either trying to reduce their overheads. So that could look like headcount. It could look like wages. They're looking to automate manual administration. So I'll give a good example would be is if you have a company where you have recruitment coordinators, there are technologies in the market right now that can do exactly the same work as a recruitment coordinator, but better and more of it, 24 hours a day, 365, at a fraction of the cost. There's chatbots, there's AI, there's ATS plugins that can do the same work as a recruitment coordinator that you're paying $40,000 a year or $30,000 a year and do it for 10 today. That exists. So there's a savings to the company right there and likely a better candidate and more consistent candidate experience. But we get uncomfortable with that because that means somebody has to lead the organization. Right? That's tough. I actually don't think they do. I actually think we should reallocate that resource to employment branding. And here's why. There's a cost to the organization when you have requisitions open. Every day a requisition is open, it's lost productivity. It's risk to the company in terms of its operational continuity. And it has friction points on the team in terms of everyone's doing a little bit more. There's a whole bunch of soft and hard costs with having positions remain vacant. If you have an employment branding mandate that allows you to reduce the length of your open requisitions by 25%, what value is that to the company? I don't know. You can quantify that though. And you could reallocate a resource that right now is interviews and they could then be doing social media postings and rebranding your company to draw more applicants through your pipeline. So you get better talent faster and reduce your requisition length. So you actually get a chance to save money, reallocate a resource to work that's much more valuable and more fun and saves money somewhere else. 
So by scaling impact in one area, you actually can reallocate and scale impact in other areas. So here's the honest truth. I am not good at a lot of things. Like I am like, if you ask me about balancing my checkbook, <laughs> what's a checkbook? Anyway, go on. It's an old system. 30 yeah. years. Like, anyway. But I'm really good at finding inefficiencies in processes, yeah. in spending and in budgets. Yeah. And I know where the people should be spending their time. And I'm really good at finding opportunities to save money. So in that sense, requisition length on job postings has a value impact. What you spend on your manual administration has a value impact in terms of dollars. Turnover reduction has an impact to dollars. Your benefit costs. How many companies right now are giving people 3% increases every single year like it's an expectation when the economy didn't go up 3% last year? And at the same time, you're not actually rewarding your highest performers because you can't afford to. Because you give everybody else 3%. What if you give everybody nothing but gave them the annual rate of inflation so they didn't fall behind relative to the economy? And then spent a portion of the remainder to really reward the people that deliver disproportionate amount of value to your company. There's a novel idea. Yeah. Change the game. Change the game. How much money are we throwing away with 3% increases because we've created an expectation that every year, no matter how well I do, I get a three out of five rating and a 3% increase. And no one's happy with the process. The manager hates delivering it. The employee thinks it's a waste of time. And they don't even notice on their paycheck. But it becomes a rite of passage and becomes an expectation. Whereas the person who's actually delivering more value is getting three and a half percent and going, are you kidding me? I get an extra $50 on my paycheck and I'm doing twice as much work as that guy. <laughs> you mentioned the three out of five, right? And everybody getting the 3%. And yeah. I hear the performance management system, performance rating system, annual reviews, that topic coming up a lot. It seems to be hot and controversial these days in HR. Many companies are getting rid of it. Other people say that you shouldn't get rid of it. And but that it seems archaic and it needs to be changed. I would imagine that's an area where you can definitely leverage data to improve a process. So, what suggestions do you have there? Do we have enough time for that? Uh, <laughs> like, who likes annual reviews? If anyone no. likes annual reviews, leave them in the comment section below and then send me a LinkedIn message and tell me why you like annual reviews because they're terrible. What happens is that most managers don't keep really good notes. Everyone's really, really busy. So two weeks before your eval, they hurriedly try and remember all the things that happened in the last year, but mm. recency effect takes into account. And they remember yep. the last three things that you did. They sit you down. They give you a vanilla conversation. They talk to you about your career path, maybe if you have time. They give you a nominal increase. No one's happy. No one's satisfied. It's a giant time waste. The benefit of performance management is to have a recurring touch point with your employees so they can improve their performance as it relates to two things. Your company's strategy and objectives, but more importantly, their own individual growth. And as the old millennial myself, I've always managed my career in the context of experiences. I've never chased salary. I've never chased title. I've always chased experiences, believing the salary and the title would follow those things. And I've been largely right. And the reason that millennials leave organizations is because the people in roles of leadership in most cases came from a different time where you spent five, seven, 10, 15 years in a single job and you waited your turn. Those days are done. You need to give people recurring and unique ways to contribute. Millennials aren't at a greater flight risk than anybody else. They just are if you apply baby boomer thinking to their career path. 
I've worked in companies like Walmart for upwards of seven years, but I had five jobs in seven years because they knew the moment I got bored, I was gone. But they kept throwing new challenges at me. So I stuck around because it made sense to keep working in that company. But they didn't cater to me and they didn't coddle me. They put me against projects they needed help with. So I did a lot of value for them. I got tons of learning experiences and opportunities that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten if they said, Hey, Matt, you're in this job for five years. Go for it. So I think the performance management process needs to be redefined as what is it really intended to do? It's a touch point between the manager and the employee around what's happening in the role today and how can you get better in the future? And how can I, as a manager, enable your success going forward? And it's about how do we align the company's needs with your individual needs? If you are a graphic designer and you want to learn the skills around video editing, then create an experiential opportunity for that person to learn how to be a video editor. So they're helping your company and they're building skills. Give and take. I tell my employees this all the time. I've made more jobs for my employees than I've had jobs to fill. I just said simply, what do you want to do? Let's just build you a job around that. Now, it has to be things that help the company. But if you want to fix these five problems, that's great. Let's build a job around that. And then you're super motivated to fix these five problems. You're going to do a great job. You're going to give me discretionary effort. You're going to be super aligned to both me as a leader and the company as an organization. And you're going to help us achieve goals that we wouldn't have been able to achieve. So you just need to rethink the problem about supply and demand and stop putting people into small little boxes and bringing out forms and treating them like you're filling out a mortgage. And instead, treat them as if you would treat somebody that you're trying to help. Because you are, and by helping them, you're helping your organization. So I don't know that it needs to be annual or quarterly or monthly. Whatever feels right in your company, I just think you need to have that. Now, the lawyers are going to tell you, you need to have the forms, Matt. If you don't have the forms filled out, then there's legal risk if somebody's not performing. If somebody is not performing, the least of my problems are the forms. The problem I have is they're not contributing to the company's success. Then I ask myself why they're not performing. And if the reason they're not performing is because I didn't give them a form last year in their eval, right. I find that hard to believe. Yeah. I would rather fix the actual problems and then move on. Which you're going to do through actual coaching and feedback, right? Actual conversations. Surprise, surprise. Yep. Now, let's just say you have an integrity issue. There are extremes. I allow for that. Mm. I've been in HR for 15 years. I've seen all manner of silly things that happen inside of organizations. <laughs> let's say you have an integrity issue. Okay, you have an integrity issue. The fact that someone didn't fill out their eval two years ago and fill the form in has nothing to do with the integrity issue. Worst case scenario, give them a buyout and move on. Hmm. There you go. Don't spend time wasting your time on things that don't matter. And automate those things that are repeatable and that are taking all of your time when you could be out talking to people, right? And I agree. Like There, there need to be more regular conversations, more real coaching, more real feedback. Uh, if you look at the data, you talked about millennials, but of course, it's Gen Z that's entering the workforce now, and they want career development. They want to know when their next promotion is going to be, where they're going to go with their career, yeah. and how to get there. And if the manager is not equipped to have that conversation, they're going to get frustrated and leave, right? I've talked to many experts about this. And so you've got to give equip the managers to have those real conversations and equip the employees to own their careers and to understand where they're going and where they can go, what's possible. And so there needs to be some coaching on both sides of that. Uh, and you can use some data there. You can use some human metrics. But I mean, we, we've got to make sure that we're catering to the workforce the way it is now and not trying to make them fit into the way things used to be. So let's do that now. Let's help every manager who listens to your podcast right now have this conversation because I can do it in 30 seconds. 
Okay. Let's do it. Managers don't need to have some otherworldly knowledge and be able to solve all their employees' problems. That's the first thing. Okay. That's not what the employees want. What employees want is oftentimes what people want in your personal relationships. They want to be heard. Sit down with your employee and ask them, what do you want? Really simple. What do you want? I don't know. Okay. Give it some thought. Here's all the possible opportunities in this company. Here's where we're going as a firm. Where do you think you fit into this patchwork going forward? Okay. Matt, I really like to be in marketing one day. Amazing. You're in HR right now. You want to be in marketing. Totally get it. I can solve for that problem. Let me think about what's currently going on in the organization that allows you to get a little bit closer to your goal, but also satisfies the company need. I have an open spot in recruitment. Which is closer to marketing. Closer to marketing. Or I have a business partner role. Your client group? Marketing. Or I have a project right now. I'm working with the head of marketing on a training program redesign for all their interns from universities. Do you want to work on that project with me? Find an area, if it's possible, to connect that person closer to their goal. They're going to go, wow, thank you so much. I get to stay in my current job where I'm comfortable, but at the same time, stress myself a little bit, which gets me closer to my goal. Now, if somebody has an expectation that is unrealistic, there's nothing wrong with pushing back. Someone says, hey, I want to be CEO in three years. Great. I want to be the, you know, the emperor of China in five. Like, probably not going to happen. So how do we get you closer to your goal? Where you are now to where you want to be, let's get you a little bit closer together. And here's what I'm going to do to support you. But here's what you need to do to drive your own development. Because I'm not just going to give you things. You need to deliver. And if you don't... No, you got to take personal responsibility. And you've got to... I'm giving you the opportunity to do it. So you can't come back to me six months from now and say, nobody ever gave me the opportunity. No, no. Here's your, here's your chance. Here's something yep. to stretch yourself and deliver. Here's what I expect from you to achieve these goals. And if you deliver on that, the next time you have a conversation, I'll get you one step closer to your goal. And one more step closer. And I'll give you more projects and more opportunities. That's the conversation. Let the employee drive what they want. Your job is to facilitate the conversation and give them the tools and resources and opportunities that they need to realize their own goals. And if you do that, that's an amazing performance conversation. But don't go in there expecting to inform what they should be doing at their career. You're not their parent. You're their manager. Right. Your job is to support them. And if they have a good sense of where they are, great. If they need time to think that through, then give them some coaching and counseling. Encourage them to speak to people in the organization in different roles to get a sense of what those roles are. Ask them to do assessments that may be good career fits for their competencies and what skills that they have. Ask them about their interests. Ask them about things as they try and seek where their careers are going to be. It's understanding the questions to ask, but they give the answers. You're just creating the, the form for the conversation. And once you align on that, then work with them and co-develop a solution that makes sense. Love it. There's all the answers right there. Matt, you uh, are obviously very knowledgeable on these subjects and opinionated. I love it. People may want to hear more from you on this. You had a show before. You told me you're launching a podcast. As we record this, it has not yet launched, but it will be a little while before this comes out. And by that time, your podcast may be live. So just give me the two minutes on that. Yeah, I'm super excited. As you mentioned, I used to co-host a podcast called HR Leaders Live, where we met today's HR leaders and talked about problems that pertain to the global HR profession. And I really loved that experience. But ultimately, I found that the format itself was very HR specific. And I think problems in organizations extend far beyond the traditional HR issues. So as a result, I'm launching a collective podcast. And each week, we're going to be tackling the most complex issues 
related to work and culture. And I'll be bringing on a cross-functional suite of guests, everything from CFOs to academics to data scientists to HR professionals and marketers, entrepreneurs, women leaders, talking about complex issues related to work and culture. And we're just going to have some really intelligent, articulate, entertaining people on just to jam about what's happening in organizations and trying to provide a ton of value to people in my network. And chats like this, I think, are really helpful because you know, as much as I like talking about theory and concept, I want to give people tools that they can actually take back to their organizations and make real change. And that's where I think our program, like yours, Andy, differentiates from the majority of podcasts that I listen to. Like, if I want theory, I'll read a book. Mm -hmm. Tell me how I actually do these things so that I can take a little bit from this little episode and put it in my workplace and make it 5% better or 1% better or a half percent better. And let me learn from that. And what you and I have done in our careers is we've actually done these things. You'd be surprised how many podcasters and how many shows I've listened to and been on where the people on them haven't done any of the things I talked about. I've actually <laughs> done this stuff. I've made a million mistakes. We can do a whole other show on all the mistakes that I've made. I've arrived at these answers through trial and error and by listening and by being unafraid and having no ego around making mistakes to try and do things the right way. So our podcast is going to tackle those issues in a real pragmatic, thoughtful, entertaining way. I'm so excited to get it out there. I love it. I love podcasting. I love the idea. I love giving people practical stuff. I also love talking about failure and mistakes. And I usually ask my guests that question. Maybe we need a whole nother episode called Mistakes That Matt Has Made in His Career. But since we, we don't have time for that now, uh, but for anybody listening who wants to connect with you, Matt, to find out more about what you do and maybe work with you, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, thanks so much. I would say two areas. The first one is if you want to find me, LinkedIn, connect with me, Matt Burns. You'll see this awful photo of me in a, in a monkey suit. My mother loves it, but I'm not a huge fan of it myself. But it's on there and it's my LinkedIn profile. Check me out, Matt Burns HR. You'll be able to see me on that platform or check out my website, globalhrcollective.org. Always adding new content, podcast episodes, blog posts, and talk, talk a bit about the company, what we're doing, and how we're getting down. I love that you're criticizing your own LinkedIn profile photo as if you don't have the power to change it. Because <laughs> I'm looking at it now and it is, it's a great photo of you in a suit with a you know open collar shirt. And then I'm looking at you now and you're sitting there in a t-shirt. And I love both. My profile is of me in a suit, but I went to a networking event today in shorts and a t-shirt because I'm in Florida and that's what I do. But it just depends on the situation. You know, the worst thing is, that's not the worst thing, but I speak a lot globally. I do not like the moment when someone introduces me to the crowd because it's, it's the bio that I wrote for myself with a picture yeah. of myself behind me. And someone yeah. walks through all my accolades over the last 10 years and talks about me in front of me. It's like, I don't like that. Why well, just like, here's Matt, here's the microphone. If you like him, listen. And if you don't pick up your phone, like I'd rather you know 10 years ago, <laughs> Matt did this. look at Matt's suit. He was wearing a pocket square right now. Like I just want to be real with people and I just want to have fun and provide value and just listen where I can. I tease myself about that photo because I went and spent a couple hundred bucks on a photo shoot and brought a professional photographer in. And yeah, it's a, it's a fine looking photo, but ultimately it's a photo. It's a snapshot in time. Listen to my content, check out my blog posts. I'm a real dude. I'm not just a nice five by seven photo. Uh, I love it. And you know, don't lie. There's something to be said for pocket squares. I wear them anytime I put a suit on and it differentiates because most men are not. Tip for men out there, get some pocket squares. They're cheap and they'll help you stand out. And suspenders. Uh, Do you wear suspenders and bow ties? 
I do not wear suspenders or bow ties. That, that takes things to the next level. That's the next level stuff. All right, this is the kind of stuff you get when you go when you go on and you really get in to the nitty gritty. Uh, Matt, this has been so fun. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to share some of your knowledge and wisdom. I appreciated it. I learned a lot, and uh, I know our listeners as well. So thank you again for coming on the Talent Development Hot Seat. My sincere pleasure. Great chat with you. All right, take care. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible and we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.